Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. Podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week we are talking about legacy and we're doing a story from issue 67 of Green Lantern. Issue 67 of Green Lantern, which was published on the 9th of January 1969. We have finally made it into 1969. I say finally, we rattled through 1968. Why are we doing this story from issue 67 of Green Lantern? Well, David, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Basically, this is the story of the very first Green Lantern. Mm. Of the Earth 1 universe, that is. Obviously, we've had Alan Scott from the Earth 2 universe, but this is actually flashing back to the very first time a Guardian gave someone a power ring. Mm. So the Earth 1 Green Lantern that we all know is Hal Jordan, who first debuted in Showcase Issue 22, which came out on the 20th of July, 1959. And it's nearly 10 years later that they actually get around to telling us how the Green Lantern Corps first started. It's in this lovely backup story, which is in Green Lantern 67. It's not the main story. Hal Jordan does not feature in this story. But I think it's something quite special. Agreed. And this is actually a story written by Gardner Fox, Mm -hmm. any of whom's stories we've already discussed on the show. But this is going to be the last Gardner Fox story we talk about. Because sadly, he leaves DC shortly after this period. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk more about him later on. Even though we're not doing the story, do you want to tell everyone about the cover to issue 67, just briefly? I certainly shall. We've got the traditional Green Lantern logo on the top. It's all in red and ablaze as usual. Mm. And we have a giant green figure who's grasping Hal Jordan and giving him a kind of electric shock, it looks like. And he's saying, Your power ring has been used for good. Now I use you for evil. And it looks like Hal Jordan has really, really been given the Van de Graaff generator treatment. (laughs) Yeah. His hair's flying all over the place. (laughs) There's sparks coming off him. It's positively shocking. Yeah. It almost looks so like Hal's kind of breaking down into some kind of radio signal or something. Mm, I definitely yeah. want to read this story for myself. It's, it seems to suggest that this guy's going to walk about with Hal stuck to his hand, <laughs> using <laughs> him as some kind of quasi-power ring substitute. Power ring substitute would be a good name for a band. <laughs> that story is actually also by Gardner Fox with the uh, ah. art by Dick Dillon and Joe Giella. And it's called, in a very late 60s fashion, Green Lantern Does His Ring Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ring thing, do your thing was the catchphrase, wasn't it? That the Marvel character, the thing, said in his seventies <laughs> cartoon series, which yes. I remember becoming aware of it a few years ago and could not believe it was real. <laughs> no, it's another one of these Green Lantern comics where the cover isn't the story that we're telling. I feel that's happened quite a few times. It has, yes. Uh-huh. Maybe it's not as many times as I think, but no, we're going to do a story that's entitled "The First Green Lantern." So flip all the way past the cover story, and our opening page has a little logo type situation at the top where we see a Green Lantern power ring and stretching out from it is a bit of text that says Tales of the Power Ring. Tales Tales of of the the Power power Ring. Ring. And this made me think when we were doing our prep, oh, did they start doing a little series of Tales of the Power Ring backups? But Pete tells me this was the only one (laughs) that actually happened. It's the only one I can find. Yeah. Listener, if you can find any more of these, then please get in touch. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. But this is literally the only one of these backup stories I can find. We're kind of used to sort of Tales of the Green Lantern Corps popping up elsewhere here. So it's maybe just sort of similar to that sort of thing, I suppose. Mm. Our first panel 
has a caption box that says, On the planet Rogira in ages past, hordes of tentacle creatures known as Rulans waged ceaseless war against each other. Yes, and we see the Rulans, and they basically look like... They look like Starro, essentially. They're kind of giant yeah. starfishes, and they're hitting each other with sticks. And one of them has knocked one of the other's tentacles or tendrils off. In the background, we can see one lifting a boulder to strike another one. And I say, they look very much like Starro, the, the conqueror from the, mm-hmm. the first Justice League of America story. Obviously, you'll all have seen him in the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. These starfish in this panel, these giant starfish, they're bright red in colour. Basically, getting stuck into each other, hitting each other with boulders and sticks. And so, we come to panel two. Their domain was completely surrounded by the terrible land, a barrier of erupting volcanoes and ejected lava of noxious gases and unendurable heat. And that's basically what we see in this panel. We see some bursts of lava and some clouds of gas floating around. Doesn't look like a very nice place to live at all. So... We now reach panel three of this opening page, and this is a caption that says, Beyond that awesome zone were the farms and cultivated lands of the peaceful humanoid race, the Jiren. Yes, and what we see here are some of the Jiren just chilling out. There's a hole in the front of the panel, by which I mean the gardening implement, (laughs) and nothing else. (laughs) And significantly, we see two of the Jiren in the background of this panel. It's worth pointing out they have very pale orange skin, humanoid. We see a female one, she has blonde hair, big high ponytail. And she's offering a flower to another male Jiren. And this chap's outfit is very interesting. It's an all-in-one outfit, predominantly black, but he has green boots and almost a green leotard shape over the black. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it looks very much like what we've got used to as the standard Hal Jordan Green Lantern uniform. But there's no Green Lantern symbol on his chest. He's not wearing gloves. It's very interesting. It's very noticeable and it's deliberate. And you'll see why. So we see these two Jiren sat in their idyllic little farm situation, with some flowers and all that around them. And underneath this final panel is another big stretch of text, and it says, All this was long ago and far away, yet, even then, wise eyes on the planet Oa studied Rojira, just as they surveyed other worlds in the cosmos. Sorrowful at the injustice and evil rampant there, Whereupon these men, the Guardians, agreed that in the interests of law and order, justice and equality for all, the time was ripe to offer Rojira the The first first Green Green Lantern. Lantern. Yes, and a tiny caption box says, story by Gardner Fox, art by Sid Green. Sid Green, who we're used to as being an, an inker. So we arrive at the top of page two now. Caption for the first panel says, From time to time, as they battled... The red-hued Rulans suddenly froze into utter immobility. All hostilities ceased as they turned yellow and quiescent while they rejuvenated their energies and thought up new methods for fighting their endless conflicts. Yes, and this panel just shows... It just shows a lot of Rulans standing around. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah. At first I thought I thought they were on the march because it certainly looks like they're parading around, but they've basically turned bright yellow. Yeah, it's really interesting that they basically walk as if they're on two legs mm. and they're using two other of their starfish prongs that wear as arms and the top one seems to be a head yeah. even though they've got the eye right in the centre. Yes. That they are acting very much like they are bipedal creatures. Yeah, and they almost, I mean, the way it's drawn in this opening panel especially, you could sort of very easily make your own out of some corn on the cob that you had lying around. (laughs) Right, so panel two has a caption that says, For the Rulans could not be killed. They could regenerate lost limbs, even recreate a new body if one were shattered. Was it any wonder they were mentally tormented by their inability to gain a victory, or... 
Suffer a defeat. Yes, this is an interesting panel with the volcanoes and stuff erupting and the, the clouds billowing in the background. We see one Rillan who appears to be forming replacement lower limbs out of thin air. And we can see some discarded rendered limbs lying on the ground in front of him. And in the background it looks either as though one of the, the Rulans in the red in this panel is dancing on the ashes of one of his pals or is rising up out of what was left of his old body. I think that's. I think he is rising up, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're getting an idea of these guys. So as we move into panel three, we have another text box, and it says... During one such rest period, the warrior Korad conceived of a novel weapon, boiling hot lava. He could scarcely wait to regain his mobility and speed to the rim of the terrible land. Yeah, so this panel shows... Korad marching along through the horrible, scary alien landscape, and he's saying to no one in particular, Strange! There is a pathway where one did not exist before, leading into the terrible land! And we can see, sure enough, there's a very smooth-looking part of the of the landscape in front of him, and he's obviously following it along. The caption for panel four says, Venturing through the lingering heat and gases, Korad soon found himself staring at, and almost repelled by, Misshapen, ugly creatures! Yes, and Korad has come across a couple of the more humanoid figures who we saw on the opening page. Korad continues, Can hardly bear to look upon such abominable human. I shall attack the monsters, Drive them from my sight. And his eyeball in the heart of his body is staring wide, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very expressive. In the foreground, we see two humanoid jiren. Looks like a male and a female. The male cries, What is that thing? And his companion says, So horrible looking. That's a bit harsh. And so, as we arrive on page three, in the first panel, we get a close-up of them, both reacting, as Korad says, Ah! They have an aperture in their knobs through which they utter jarring sounds. He's obviously talking about their mouths because the female Jiren cries, "Ee!" So panel two then has a caption that says, And so, knowing only one way of life, Korat lashed out at the freakish forms. This is horrible. One of his tentacle arms, with a whap sound effect, strikes the male Jiren, and the female one can be seen in the foreground of the panel, running away, and we can see that they've dropped their farming implements. It's literally a hoedown. <laughs> it is, literally. <laughs> Korad has arrived at the farming area that we saw being tended to in the, the opening page. So, the caption then for panel three says, To Korad's surprise, the Hugh man lay limp after being struck down. The torment in his mind vanished as it dawned on him that... Yes, this is very bleak. The Jiren fell a lying flat on his back, all stretched out, Korad standing over him, and Korad crying, I destroyed his life force! I have triumphed! This is the greatest discovery of the age! Oh gosh, that's horrible. So, final panel of page three is captioned. Even while sending out a telepathic call to his fellow Rulans, Korad eagerly sought out more victims. And we see that Korad has arrived in a very pleasant meadow-looking space, and we can see the guy who wore the black and green familiar-looking outfit and his female friend and some of the others sitting having a nice time. There's a rake lying in the ground, so obviously this is also where some of the farming goes on. And they're all stunned to see Korad, who's waving a branch at them, and Korad is reporting via telepathy to his fellow Wulans, and he is saying, Come, join me in this new land. It is teeming with creatures who can be slain. So, obviously... Korad is delighted he's found some people who they can fight and kill, rather than just the way that the Rulans 
obviously just regenerating, growing new bodies and new parts. So this is very significant. This is a, mm-hmm. almost biblical, actually, in a way, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we arrive now at the top of page four. Caption for the first panel says, No Jiren had ever fought before. It was an unthought-of act in their peaceful land. But now, with a fearless man named Rory Dag to lead them... So Korad is standing, still brandishing his big stick. We can see some of the other Jirens reaching down to pick up boulders, or snapping off branches. But Rory, spelt R-O-R-I, he lunges forward, throwing a boulder at Korad, and he says, Fight how it fights. Do what it does. If thrown rocks can hurt us... They should do as much for it. One of his pals, one of his colleagues, says as he snaps off a branch, We shall do as you say, Rory Dag. So, this is good. This is good. This guy in the green and black is showing, he's not afraid, showing signs of leadership. This is good. The caption for panel two says, But Korad was too experienced a warrior for the Jiren to stand for long against him. Yes, it actually looks so that the person who just spoke after snapping off the branch has been struck by Korad because he seems to be going down in the second panel after being walloped with a big stick. And this is happening in the background of the panel, because in the foreground, we see Rory and his female friend. And Rory's female friend says, Flee! Flee! It is too strong to overcome! And then Rory says, No, Kerala. We must fight for our right to live here, or we will never have anything worth living for. Yes, so she's now called Kerala, so that's useful. The next panel is captioned, Fearlessly, the nimble Rory Dag raced behind the Rulan invader, and... With a whap! Rory strikes Korad in the back with a big blue stick. As he does this, Rory says, I have felled it. The caption for the next panel. Even as the Rulan sunk to the ground, he flailed out with an appendage. Yes, with a thump, one of Korad's limbs strikes Rory. Rory says, Knock the breath out of me. The final panel then of page four. Korad is recovering. He's lifted a boulder. He's raised it over Rory and he's saying, Die, monster! Die! And Rory thinks... No chance to stop it. Tiny caption tells us we're continued in the second page following. The caption for the first panel on page five says, Suddenly, to his astonishment, the Jiren saw his foe turn yellow and motionless. Yep, that's exactly what's happened. Korad has turned yellow, still in the process of holding the rock over Rory. Rory down on the ground is thinking, Why has it spared me? And then we have a caption for panel two that says, And the very next moment, even more surprising... Yes, there's a burst of green energy in mid-air. And emerging from this burst of green energy is a blue-skinned small man with tufts of white hair on either side of his head, dressed in a red robe. He's holding a very familiar green lantern, and he's holding something else in his hand. Rory cries, Who are you? Another alien come to battle us? I shall fight. But he's interrupted by this figure in red, who says, No, Rory Dag, I come to you in peace, bearing gifts. A ring and battery of wondrous powers. Rory replies, That battery looks like one of our lanterns. A green lantern. Green lantern, yes. That is a good name for it. And for you. We guardians of Oa have watched with dismay the violence on your world. When it was extended into your peaceful land, we decided to act. Panel 3 is a nice close-up of the blue-skinned hand holding a very familiar Green Lantern Power Ring. Very familiar to us, that is. To Rory, obviously, it's something new. Mm-hmm. Close up of the Guardian as he continues in panel four. As a noble man, without fear, we have chosen you to serve as our armed agent here. Should you succeed, you will be the first of other Green Lanterns we will appoint to safeguard the universe. 
In panel 5 now is a wider shot as we see the Guardian placing the ring onto the index finger of Rory's right hand. The Guardian continues. This ring I place on your finger bears a gem that gathers your thought energies, permits you to make them tangible by sheer willpower. However, we must caution you that there is a necessary strain in the gem, making the power ring inoperable against the colour yellow. And this final panel of page 5 looks very, very familiar as it's lit from below as the, the lantern flares and illuminates Rory and the Guardian. The Guardian continues to speak, saying, By holding the ring against the battery, it is charged for six duns. And a little asterisk takes us to a box at the bottom which says, Equivalent to 24-hour time period on Earth. The Guardian continues, Whereupon it must be recharged to maintain power. Remember, the ring must never be used to kill only to overcome the forces of evil and injustice. And sure enough, as Rory holds his ring up to the battery, as I said already, the green energy flares. So we arrive at the top of page six, and the caption for the first panel says, And when the Guardian vanished as mysteriously as he appeared... This panel shows Rory approaching the frozen form of Korat. Rory is thinking, Could it be that my attacker turned yellow to prevent my using the force of the ring against it? Rory projects a little beam of energy from his ring towards the, the boulder that Korad is carrying. Rory continues to think, If it's a trick, I must be ready to thwart it somehow. Caption then for the next panel. Suddenly, even as Rory Dagg's mind was working feverishly how to use the ring weapon... Again, this is one of these say-what-you-see thought balloons which Rory is having here very helpfully which describes what's going on. Yeah, it's starting to move again, and thank the Guardians losing its yellow colouring. Yes, we see that Korad is turning red again. A couple of the extremities are still yellow, and he's starting to move. With a whap, Rory conjures up a shovel, spade with his power ring, and strikes Korad in the middle. And then Rory thinks, This spade, perhaps it can do what a rock failed to do. And it seems to be successful, because Rory thinks in the next panel, It drove my tormentor away from me but I will need another weapon to render it unconscious. Yes, we can see that Rory's still projecting the shovel, and with a giant sprunk <laughs> sound effect, he's able to force Korad back against one of the local blue trees. Excellent. However, the caption for the next panel says, Then, before the first Green Lantern could follow up his attack, Korad is lunging forward, and I have to say, Korad looks absolutely terrifying yes. in this panel. I would not like to face <laughs> up to one of these guys at all. No. Korad lunges forward. Rory thinks, Coming at me again. Going to batter me with its arms. Maybe I can keep it away by whirling it around like a top. Yep, yeah, and as we arrive at the top of page 7, that's exactly what Rory is doing. He's creating a little whirlwind with a burst from his power ring. Very effective. We move into panel 2. Rory's pushing forward with his offensive thinking, Have to stop it before it goes whirling into our village. Completely wrecks it. Fighting is such a new experience for me. I'm not handling this too well. Rory's been a bit hard on himself here, listeners, because he's managed to use his power ring that he's had for two seconds to conjure a blade, and he sliced off one of Korad's limbs as the whirling dervish goes hurling around, knocking over trees and breaking down walls. I mean, he's, you know, he's, I think he's doing very well. He's been a bit harsh on himself. There's a massive crash in the next panel as Korad collides with a structure, and Rory thinks, It's levelled that house. And then he thinks and notices, Eh? It's 
regrowing the arm I blasted. What weapon can I use against it now? The next panel has an inset caption of Rory having a think about what he can get up to. I could summon up the red-hot lava from the terrible land to rain down on it. Yeah, and we get a shot of Korad being swallowed by molten lava. That looks quite horrible. Looks like a terrible way to go. And then we get another inset panel of Rory as he thinks. But the lava might kill it, and I have been forbidden to gain a victory at such cost. No. It has to be something else. We're on to page eight now. Caption for the first panel says, Rory Dag had never seen anyone fly. There was no bird life on Rogira, but the vast bowl of sky was devoid of life, and so... Yes, very cleverly, Rory is gesturing with his power ring, and it's thrown Korad... Up! Up into the air! And then he thinks... That'll keep it out of harm's way. Panel two is almost from Korad's point of view as we look through his whirling tentacles while he's up in the air. Down at Rory on the ground, who's thinking... I forgot. Should it turn yellow again, the power ring energy will fail and it will return to the surface to resume its attacks on my people. For panel three, we're back down on the ground with Rory as he looks up at the whirling Korvad who's still twisting and turning in the air as Rory thinks... I must invent something new, a special device to hurl it out of our land, along with its fellow beings who are even now fighting and killing my people. Rory is then obviously struck by inspiration as he continues to think... A gigantic arm! An arm can throw rocks, so it should be able to fling them at great distance. Arms can do lots of things, Rory. You really need to, you know, open your mind here. So this final panel of page eight, nice long shot of Rory gesturing with the power ring and creating a massive arm and hand. Yes. This is great. We're so used to all the various Green Lanterns creating stuff like boxing gloves and yep. baseball bats. It's fascinating to watch the, the very first guy doing something like this. We see this giant arm and hand stretched out in the blue grass as Rory thinks... Now that the arm is fashioned, I've got to move it in a throwing motion. That'll require an axle to hold it firm while it moves, ropes to fire it, and bull's horns to hold the ropes. We arrive at the top of page nine, the caption for the first panel. The crude catapult constructed, Korad was manoeuvred onto its seat. Yeah, so we can see that Rory's done phenomenally well Mm -hmm. as a novice Green Lantern, because indeed he has built a massive catapult, visualised exactly as he described in the previous panel, and poor Korad <laughs> has been lumped on it, looking very forlorn, as Rory pulls the handle, ready to send him flying, and Rory thinks, Here goes. And then, with a swoosh, Korad goes flying up into the air in the next full, almost full-page panel. The caption for this says, Next instant, ropes twanged, a power-fashioned arm thudded against a bar, and Korad went hurtling high above the terrible land. Terrific. Rory celebrates, he shouts, I did it! Flinging it back to where it came from. Awesome. That's a great panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we see Korad going flying up into the air. We can see the volcanoes underneath him, the clouds of gas. Very, very effective. And then this final almost inset panel of page nine shows Rory looping the loop and flying around for the first time as a Green Lantern. The caption says, Courageously, Rory Dak himself rose into the sky. The exultation he felt at vanquishing his foe was now mingled with excitement over his flying abilities. Yeah, terrific. Rory soars over the nice peaceful farmlands. As we arrive at page 10, the caption for the first panel there says, From his lofty view, the first Green Lantern created other catapults with his power ring, and soon the air was filled with helpless Rulans flying homeward. Yeah, this is great. Rory's up in the air, looking very comfortable with it now, and we can see, this is great, with her eyes wide, several Rulans just zooming through, (laughs) being flung around in the air. It's terrific. Rory's thinking, Now I'll close the pathway through the terrible land so they can never return to menaces again. Awesome. 
Caption for panel two, page ten. When he lowered himself gently to the ground, he found a guardian waiting. Rory looks very happy as he alights on the ground. The guardian is also smiling, and the guardian says, You have done well, Rory Dag, Green Lantern of the planet Rogira. In the final panel, we see the guardian gesturing, and a very familiar symbol appearing on Rory's chest as the guardian says, As a symbol of your status as a Green Lantern, I am blazing a power battery insignia on your garb which will be adopted as the uniform for all future Green Lanterns. And Rory smiles as the familiar Green Lantern logo takes shape. And a closing caption says, Watch for another alien Green Lantern adventure in Tales of the Power Ring. And I suppose we should probably say The the End. end. Gosh. But there are no more Tales of the Power Ring, so... <laughs> We've already met a few alien Green Lanterns, if, you know, if you're reading the Green Lantern True. comics, obviously, because mm-hmm. Hal's first visit to Oa when he meets Tomar Ray and Catmar mm-hmm. 2 and all that sort of lot. It's interesting. I can see this as a as a backup strip actually probably doing quite well and being quite enjoyable. Yeah, definitely, huh? As a regular sort of thing. I seem to remember at some point in the 70s there were sort of, or maybe I'm thinking of the 80s, there were sort of tales of the Green Lantern Corps backup strips here and there in Green Lantern. That was in the eighties, yeah, huh? Yeah. There's some really, really good stories in that. Yeah. Quite a lot I think have been collected here and there. Yeah, I think they've all been collected, yeah. Out of print now, I think. Yeah. So what do you think? Yeah, I loved that. That was fantastic. It was so interesting. It's this is the first story we've done that's got Sid Green fully on art. Mm. It's just the things we've had before. And this I love this. It's fantastic. Yeah. The starfish creatures are genuinely hideous because they do move almost like humans. Just as I said before, mm. you know, it's like they're standing in two legs, they've got two arms and a massive hideous head, but with an eyeball in the centre. It's so weird. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And I, I do like Rory's look as well. His orange face kind of reminds me of Arisia from the Green Lantern Corps. I don't think it's the same planet. Uh-huh. But he's got this very late 60s, almost quiffy, big mop top of hair. It's massive, massive hair. It's, yeah. It's got these big curls. It looks very much like a pop star of, you know, 1968. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could have quite easily been a member of the Loving Spoonful or Gary Puckett and New Gap or something, yep. couldn't he? You know, he, he has that look to him. I completely agree with what you're saying about the starfish guys. I've mm. completely forgotten what they're called. The Rulins. Yeah, the Rulins. Mm. Sid's art is tremendous because you really do get a sense of their movement and the way that they stand and mm-hmm. the way their weight is sort of distributed. And they do look really quite intimidating. They are quite scary. Very fluid, yeah. Definitely. It's very interesting to see that essentially what we're so used to is the Green Lantern uniform was just what this one guy on this planet happened to wear. Yeah, it's great. It's like if they turned up and decided to make me their first Green Lantern and every Green Lantern had to wear blue jeans and chucks and a West German Army shirt, you know, it'd be quite <laughs> <laughs> it'd be quite funny. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's very interesting. I mean, as soon as you, as soon as you see Rory and you see his outfit, you sort of go, yeah. oh, okay, I think I can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. So I like that almost, you know, fact that the Guardians didn't actually design the uniform, that yeah. he pinched a look that someone else already had. It's almost like he was successful, that worked, uh, let's do this in his honour. It's really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. It was weird seeing that uh, the first thing Rory thought was he's turned yellow. It must be because he knows about my weakness. But he'd already turned yellow before the Guardian turned up. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit weird. That's very true. It's also interesting that basically the starfish guy, Korad, essentially turns red again almost straight away. So the yellow yeah. aspect doesn't really become an issue mm-hmm. when they're fighting, which is a bit odd. <laughs> so I can't take him out while he's frozen while he's frozen stiff because he's yellow. But I can try and take him out when he turns red and we can start fighting again. <laughs> that's a bit... Maybe that's to try and teach them to face their enemies and not look for an easy way of defeating them. Which they would have had if they, you know, if he was frozen solid. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I really do love the art in this. I wish we'd more 
13 pencils and stuff because I really would have liked to see more of his work. Yeah. Gail Kane's left the book at this point and Dick Dillon's doing the main story. Yeah. And obviously Sid Green was the main anchor for Gil Kane at Burn Green Lantern. So it is a natural progression really for him to do the full art chores. It's not something he's unfamiliar with working on. Yeah, and I, th- I think we've agreed as well that on the stories where Sid Green has been inking, I think mm-hmm. people at Mike Sikowski, what have you, he's really brought quite a lot to it. You yeah, know, he's, absolutely. he's obviously very capable on his mm-hmm. own. I think, you know, we, we felt that he kind of raised the standard of what we were looking at. Yeah. I love the landscapes. Mm-hmm. It felt very widescreen at points. Yes. Uh-huh. It was very effectively drawn. Really, really impressed. The other thing I should say is it's a little thing, but I like the fact that the first Green Lantern was not from Earth. Mm-hmm. It would have been pretty, I don't know, parochial if they decided that a human should have been the first one. So I like yeah. the fact that the Guardians are really shown as being Guardians of the Universe and they're looking at everything. And that's what's informed the decision, you know, that mm-hmm. they, they've seen this guy and they've been impressed and, they, and he's the, the one that they go for. Mm-hmm. There's obviously going to be other Guardians and Green Lantern legacy type stuff when we do the Manhunter story yeah. in Justice League, obviously. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a little way off. So I don't know if that counts as retconning some of some of this, but it's a very interesting story to do. Well, post-crisis, this story is totally retconned. More recently, they've brought in the concept of Vulthum being the first Lantern. What was that in? Remind me. For the New 52 and DC Rebirth. Right. History changed, so the first Lantern to use the power of the emotional spectrum was Vulthum. Ah. He was a human from Earth-15 originally. An early guarding experiment went wrong and he went mad with power. Okay. Then the core was created to deal with Volthum. And obviously Volthum was the entity that powered powering from Earth-3's battery. Of course. Yeah. Ah, I'd forgotten that actually. Yeah, that's great. So it all ties in. But sadly, sadly, Rory Dagg is, has gone from continuity. Wiped out with his fantastic hairdo. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> but at least we've given him a little moment in the spotlight again, which yep. is good. Bring back Rory. Da- Maybe when you and I write our DC comic, mm-hmm. we can take our shot at throwing. You know, it seems to happen with Green Lantern every now and again. Yeah. They throw it all out of the window and just bin it all. So we can do that. We can say it was all a lie. Rory Dagg was the first Green Lantern and he's back from his exile in the antimatter universe and he's not happy. Indeed. Or something or nothing. I'm guessing that this planet, Rogira, must be in Sector 1 of the universe. Ah. And him being the first one, I imagine he's Sector 1. No, agreed, yes. Tick. Not much to add. <laughs> I wonder if that this race of starfish creatures are related in any way to Starro. Yeah. Starro the Conqueror. If he's maybe originated from there, maybe somehow left or it's like a whole Vulcan Romulan thing where they've got similar ancestry but they've ended up settling in different planets it's fascinating yeah that's that's reasonable I mean it's a reasonable thing to, to speculate on because obviously there are tons and tons of humanoid races throughout the universe that get encountered so it's perfectly reasonable to, mm-hmm. to think that maybe some type of giant starfish type guy has evolved in more than one planet that's perfectly reasonable yeah or you know could Starro's parents have been a couple of Rulans that got flung out into space while they were getting <laughs> whooshed around at the end and they ended up somewhere else it could be could be maybe they were born in space and fell to plant different planets or get caught in the gravitational pull of this one yeah obviously when you and i write our dc comic we will expand on it the links between starro and the ruland another thing that i really liked because it's very really an open to interpretation is the fact that the caption says this all took place long ago and far away so it doesn't say how long ago so it doesn't really narrow down how long the guardians and the green lanterns have existed for yeah that's interesting we did the origin of the guardians and all that when we did green lantern issue 40 a while ago Mm -hmm. that's another reason to do this episode actually or to do this story i should say because it does kind of link all that and fill that in yep it's almost like preempting Star Wars a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously, yeah. I was getting that, obviously. <laughs> I think I think listeners in every possible country were obviously getting what you're referencing. <laughs> 
So that's something else that George Lucas ripped off. He obviously ripped off the dialogue at the start of this issue of Green Lantern. <laughs> Shameless. Shameless. So the contemporary letters dealing with this story, and this issue in fact really, are from Green Lantern issue 70. That's only six issues before Neil Adams arrives in Green Lantern Green Arrow. Gosh. So the first letter's from Joe Rusnak from Monteville, New Jersey. And he starts off talking about the first story, Green Lantern does his ring thing. Mm -hmm. And then he starts talking about this one. And he says, what made the first Green Lantern so good? Because it was a change of pace. We received the inside story of how the whole Green Lantern organisation started. We see how life in other planets differs, or is similar to ours. Ketchup and honey don't mix, and neither does violence and peace mix. The same goes for other planets. However, one thing bothered me. Rory Dagg, and for that matter, all of the Green Lanterns, were selected by the Guardians because they are men without fear. The way I see it, there ain't no such animal. Only a fool is without fear. When he faces danger, he isn't afraid because he doesn't know what hell he might be walking into. He's not brave, he's nuts. A brave man is one who is afraid, but goes before danger because of what he thinks is right. His fear and mental attitude go together and work together. He knows what he's doing and why. And as I said, that's from Joe Rusnak. And the editorial response to the letter says, You seem to have made a valid point with your analysis of fear. But, to quote Colton, There is this paradox in fear. He is most likely to inspire it in others who has none himself. Very stunning. Very inspiring. There we are. Bit of culture there from Green Lantern. It's completely <laughs> lost in me, but there you go. So, I'll do the, the next letter. Dear editor, I prefer full-length stories, and I always have. I understand, though, that there was something of a clamour for the exploits of other Green Lanterns, and I assume this to be the reason that Tales of the Power Ring was created. Fine. Okay. I enjoyed the first instalment in GL67, but don't make the series a permanent feature. Occasionally, we'll be fine. They then talk about the main story and ask a couple of quick questions, but there's no real editorial response to, to address the point. And that letter's from Lauren Liberthal, who I think we've had letters from before. Yep, we have, From yeah. New York. Very interesting. There's a little bit of a discussion about, about Gil Kane and whether or not he's been doing the covers, etc. Then the next letter has a lot to say. Mm -hmm. Dear Editor, The only story worth mentioning in the March Green Lantern was the Tales of the Power Ring feature, and even that wasn't as good as it might have been. First of all, I failed to see how two sentient races, one humanoid, the Jareen, and the other asteroid, the Ruans, so completely dissimilar in form and thought processes, could have evolved on the same planet without ever coming into contact. Terrible land or no terrible land, or evolved at all for that matter. <laughs> dissimilar life forms mean dissimilar environments, and as far as I could tell, the lands of the Jareen and Rulands were essentially the same climate, geography, etc. There was another glaring error, glaring to us perfectionists that is, when the Guardian appeared to Rory Dagg, he was a little white-haired blue-skinned humanoid. On Earth he would have been considered old. In fact, he looked just like the Guardians circa 1969. But, as we all know, in GL40, Secret Origin of the Guardians, the Guardians were pictured as muscular, stalwart and youthful looking. And if you check this issue, they looked young after they created the Green Lantern organisation. What the artist made was a boo-boo, not bothering to check and see if the first Green Lantern's masters were exactly the same as Hal Jordan's. Don't let these mistakes get you down. The Rogerian humanoids were properly alien looking. Their culture was properly odd, and their speech properly old-fashioned, in translation. I'll be looking forward to more Tales of the Power Ring, and so, if I'm not mistaken, will the rest of fandom. It has the makings of a great series, and that's from Rand B. Lee, 
Roxbury, Connecticut, who again we've also read out letters from on the show yes, before. That rings a bell. The response to that letter says Sid Green claims artistic license for his misportrayal of the Guardian. It was the first Green Lantern he ever penciled, stroke inked, and the last time he'll make that error. Okay, fair enough. And the final letter also touches in this story when it says The second story, although well written, earned my disapproval by uncovering another facet of the Green Lantern organisation. What happened to the touch of mystery originally associated with the Guardians and the Green Lanterns? <laughs> What's happened to the, the magic of Doctor Who? Over the years, too much has been revealed. Open brackets. I like mystery. He's got it. It's like Doctor Who. Despite all this, I think Gil Kane is one of DC's finest artists. More importantly, blah, blah, blah. And that left final letter from R.L. Thomas, who, no relation to Roy Thomas, of course. But yes, Gil Kane's going to get a bit of a spotlight of, of his very own in a few weeks' time, listeners. So stay tuned for that one. Now, as we said earlier on, this is the final Gardner Fox story that we'll be covering on the podcast. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to do a little chat about Gardner Fox. Mm. Now, Gardner Fox was born 20th of May, 1911. He's an American writer, best known for his comic book work, although he's written loads and loads and loads of novels as well. He is the co-creator of such characters as the original Flash, Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Zatanna, Sandman. Fantastic. Barbara Gordon as well, Batgirl. Uh huh. Yep. It's all him. Very early on in Batman's career, he ghost wrote some Batman stories. I think it's from about the third or fourth Batman appearance. And he actually introduced such aspects as the utility belts and the Batarang. They were Gardner Fox creations. So, yeah, <laughs> when you see Batman go into his utility belt and whip out a Batarang, that's Gardner we've got to thank for that one. So, yeah, he's done loads of stuff. Obviously, he was the main writer of the Justice Society of America tales in All-Star Comics. When we reached the Silver Age of Comics, he wrote loads of stories for Mystery in Space and Strange Adventures, lots of sci-fi stuff there. He wrote tons of Adam Strange stories, which is a lot of fun. And he was the guy that they got to bring back Hawkman and the Atom, totally revamped and new for the Silver Age. Yep. And of course, with these new characters came a new team, a Justice League of America, which Fox penned from the very start. And of course, if it wasn't for the success of the Just League of America... There wouldn't have been a conversation on a golf course which led to the creation of Fantastic Four. So, exactly. you know, we owe Gardner an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And this podcast does as well because Flash of Two Worlds, the story that's wrongly credited as introducing the <laughs> multiverse to DC Comics, <laughs> was written by Gardner Fox. As we've discussed before, there are plenty of parallel world stories before that, but that's the one that popularised the concept and brought back Jay Garrick and introduced the idea of Earth 2. Yes. Which is very, very exciting. Yes. I'm not sure what we'd have called our podcast if there hadn't been enough to. <laughs> we wouldn't have had a podcast in the first place. So yeah, Gardner Fox, I mean, you know, one of these guys, he, he looms large, mm-hmm. you know, massive influence. You know, it's one of the, the co-creators of the Sandman, you know, the, the legacy of that is mm-hmm. looming large because obviously the live action Sandman series based on Neil Gaiman's revamp is being worked on. And I am certain that we'll see some reference to Wesley Dodds and all that. I'm sure we will. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. And of course, Doctor Fate is going to appear on the big screen in a few months in the Black Adam movie, which is all very exciting. As will Hawkman. Of course. Yeah. I'm showing my pro-Doctor Fate, anti-Hawkman bias there. (laughs) So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for a a thanks to Gardner Fox credit towards the end of that movie, I'm sure. And Guy Gardner, the character, was named after him as well. 
as was John Fox, the future Flash. It was named after a combination of Gardner Fox and John Broom. Yes. So, yeah. I loved the John Fox Flash. He was one of my favourites. Yeah. They did some really good stuff with him, you know, when Mark Wade was writing the Flash. And of course, he popped up in DC One Million. Mm-hmm. And if you've been looking at our Instagram and you saw the gallery of Impulse covers I did when we did the Tornado Twins a few weeks ago, you'll have seen John Fox on the cover of Impulse issue One Million. <laughs> so there we are. Indeed. Yeah, if you want to find out more about Gardner Fox, there's a fantastic biography of him called Forgotten All-Star that's written by Jennifer DeRoss that I read a while back. And it is fascinating. He's a really, really interesting character in his own right. Yes. So, yeah, check that out if you can, because it is sensational. And we should say also, at this point, we should give a thanks to Ross from the Gallifrey's Most Wanted podcast and Stop Let's Team Up another comics podcast. He's been giving us a lot of shout-outs on Twitter recently as he's been catching up, but he actually interviewed Jennifer DeRoss uh-huh. on our fairly recent episode of Stop Let's Team Up, so you should check that one out, listeners. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for all your support, Ross. Much appreciated. So there we are, Gardner Fox. Thank you for all the stories. Yes, thank you, Gardner. God bless you. So do you have a favourite Gardner Fox story? If so, please let us know. And you can email us at theart2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we'll be posting some bonus material for this episode, as we do for all our episodes. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all our social media. And also, make sure you check out our website. That's theearth2podcast.com. And if you're feeling super generous, you could go to our coffee page and buy us the price of a beverage. Which, you know, Peter needs some coffee to keep him awake with all these weeks and weeks of editing that he's done yes. <laughs> since we started this endeavour <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell I've been Peter and I've been David thank you for joining us everyone we'll see you again soon on The Earth 2 Podcast Transmatter Cube activated return coordinate set for Earth Prime so that's the last of the letters from issue 70 of Green Lantern touching on issue 6070? 6070 what? Let me try, try that last line again. <laughs>